Well, thank the Lord. If that didn't light your fire, your wood's wet, okay? That was good. That was good. Well, it's been a great day. What a great time. Can I just say a couple things before we open the Word and get going tonight? You guys are on to something pretty special here at Bay Shore, and I don't know if you realize it. There's a lot of camps across this country that are shuttering their doors, and they're just kind of going down. And, well, they maybe tried to keep a tradition alive without the fire and power of the Spirit of God, but you've got something special here, and I want you to steward it wisely. Take good care of it. In fact, there's somebody here tonight that might say, you know, I want to give a big legacy gift. I want to surprise, I want to surprise Kevin, and I want to surprise his wife, Elvira, and I want to surprise him. I just want to surprise him. That's not it, Elaine? Okay, okay. Well, we're just having fun. We're just having fun. But uh, I just pray that you'll just, have a, you'll just continue to keep Bayshore alive and going. I had the opportunity to visit a place. Some of you may have been there. It's also in the state of Michigan. Incredible facilities, incredible facilities. And when you walk on the place, you'll see a picture, you'll see a statue of Paul Gordon. If you ever see a Gordon food truck driving around, you understand that here's a man who simply said, I want my legacy to be a camp. And I'm going to pour my legacy into that camp. And, and maybe there's somebody here tonight that says, you know what, the world's going one way, and I'm not going to take it with me. I think I'm going to start unloading it in something that's going to live way beyond me. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen? And I want you to invest in Bayshore. I believe your greatest days are just ahead if you're willing to do the job. And guess what? Nobody else is going to fund this thing. Nobody else is going to give a big grant. Nobody else is going to support this week. You are the ones. So I want you to step up. And they never asked me to say this. Jeff never pulled me aside and said, do everything you can to help us. We're going down. Kevin never pulled me aside and said that. Elvira never pulled me aside. We just want God to be blessed in a great way. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Tonight we were over at supper and uh, we're getting ready to leave. And I looked at my watch out. Man, I got to get back and pull myself together and clean up a little bit. And uh, it hit me what I said. A at home, I, 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 uh, I, I preach three times on Sunday morning. Then we have two more services that are just the video part is there. So, so Saturday nights, I, I'm not the life of the party. I turn in pretty early because it starts early. I'm at the church at 7 till 12.30. We're going hard and just praying our voice will hold up and we'll make it. And so Saturday nights, I have a routine I do. And my routine is, we'd always tell the kids when they were young, that dad's going to go out to church and he's going to load his guns. And that's the little thing we do. I'm going to get ready for my final preparation. I'm just going to pray and I'm going to go over. We call that gun loading. A few years back, we were in St. Louis, and we had just finished doing a retreat at a church in St. Louis. We, had, we were getting ready to go through security. We had about uh, 20, 30 minutes we were going to have free before we had to board the plane after we're through security. Christy looked at me, and without thinking, she asked me, what are you going to do now? It was Saturday night, and I blurted out without thinking, I'm going to load my guns. Not a good idea to do when you go through security. 
took everything I had to explain to those guys. I'm a pastor. I prepare for Sunday. We call that gun loading. But thank the Lord I'm here tonight. And I survived and I made it. And my guns are loaded for tonight. And I'm ready to preach the word. Grab your Bibles. Go with me. First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles 28. You know, as I prayed for tonight, sometimes God just kind of directs us in curveballs and odd ways. And tonight I sense, I just sense, the Spirit of God wants to take somebody and just wants to baptize you with good old-fashioned encouragement. Just wants to take you and encourage you. Wants to lift you up. Sometimes life throws us curveballs. Now, we all look good on the outside. We all clean up well. We take a shower. We do our hair. Some of us comb our hair. Some of you try to find your hair. I mean, we just, we just, we just all get ready and we look good. But can I tell you something? On the inside, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of people that say, if you knew my life, if you knew what I'm battling, if you knew the disease I'm fighting, if you knew my family, if you knew my life, if you knew my finances, if you knew the junk, if you knew the depression. Paul was taken not long ago, a group of pastors at a conference. He was taken and asked pastors this question. It said, have you ever had the thought of going down the road while you're driving and just turning into a telephone pole and ending it all because the pain was so great? And the results were absolutely shocking of the number of my peers that had to admit that sometimes life just gets hard and gets heavy. We're never going to take our life, but sometimes, don't you ever say, God, a good heart attack would be pretty good right now. If you could just take me, I've had about all I can take. Now, if we're going to be rooted, we have to have the ability to withstand the heat. We have to have the ability to withstand the storm. We've got to be strong inside and strong. Sometimes the lights go out in life. And sometimes the lights go out at Bayshore. But we've got to be strong in him. Now, I want you to look at something. I want you to look at this verse of Scripture. Start in verse 19, Chronicles 28. All this is in writing, David said. Because the hand of the Lord was upon me and gave me an understanding in all the details. He's talking about the plan to build the temple. Who was David's son that's going to build the temple? What was his name? It was Solomon. Good job. Solomon's going to build the temple. God would not let David build the temple. Sometimes our dreams will never be fulfilled in our lifetime. Our children will fulfill God's calling on our life. David had shed too much blood. He was not allowed to build the temple, but he said, I'm all ready to do this. David, in verse 20, said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. And the divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God. And every willing man skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. Be strong and courageous. Now what he does in this time is he begins to pour out to Solomon, you better get ready, buddy, 
because you're going to wade into deep water. You're going to wade into difficulties. In fact, if you go to chapter 29, in chapter 29, he says, I'm concerned about you, Solomon. In verse 1, he says, you're young. You're young. You're going to embark upon one of the biggest building programs ever, and you're just a kid. You're still wet behind the ears. In verse 1, he says, you're inexperienced, Solomon. You've never been this way before. You know, my dad told me when our kids were little, and I was having problems raising our kids. He said, don't worry, Dave, it'll get worse. I said, what do you mean? He said, little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. And dad hit it on the nose. You're young. You're inexperienced. The task is great. You ever feel like you're over your head? You feel like you're not going to make it? You feel like, God, here I am, and here's the problem? And God says, I want you to understand there's a way for you to be so rooted in my word, so rooted in my principles, that you're going to be able to stand against it. Sometimes life throws us these incredible curveballs. Now, it's Tuesday night at camp, and people's minds begin to get a little dull. So let me see if you can pick this one up. This is a guy that faced a challenge. Dan was a single guy living at home with his father, and he worked in the family business. And he found out he was going to inherit an incredible fortune. He knew he was going to inherit when his sickly father died, so he decided he needed to find a wife with whom he could share his fortune. He said, I need a wife to share all this money with. So one evening at an investment meeting, he spotted the most beautiful woman he had ever seen in his entire life. Her beauty took his breath away. He said, I may look like just an ordinary guy, but in just a few years, my father's going to die, and I will inherit $200 million. Impressed, the woman asked for his business card. And three days later, she became his stepmother. <laughs> three of you are saying, I don't get it. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that my best laid plans are not going to work out? Now, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to give you the arsenal, the ammunition you need to be able to withstand life's greatest challenges. They're going to come. It's not a matter of if you're going to have a challenge. It's a matter of when you're going to have a challenge. It's amazing how one phone call can change your life. It's amazing how one doctor's appointment can change your life. It's amazing how one moment everything can instantly change. So what we've got to do is we've got to be rooted. We've got to be deep in this thing. And David, when he handed Solomon the word, he gave him the path toward putting down roots. Are you ready to go? Here's what I'm going to do quickly tonight. I'm going to give you four simple things out of this passage. Four simple things out of this passage that's going to help you be rooted. Number one, here's the first one. David is going to teach Solomon, practice his presence. It's up on the screen. Say it with your big outside voices right now. Practice his presence. Now look at what he said in verse 20. David said to Solomon, be strong and courageous. Say that out loud. Be strong and courageous. And do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord my God is with you. Here's the battle cry that he gives. I want you to see this. Here's the battle cry. 
It's very simple. The Lord my God is with me. Say it together out loud. The Lord my God is with me. Come on, say it again. The Lord my God is with me. When you leave Bayshore Camp and you go, you're not going to be able to take this good music with you. My goodness. I had never sung that awakening course in my life. Never heard of it. Where have I been all my life? I've been in 40 countries of the world. I've preached in dozens of camps, and I've never sung that song before. And you people all just kind of, whoa, shifted into overdrive. My goodness, I wondered what meds you were taking because you sang that with power and enthusiasm. And the basses sang the bass part, and the ladies went up and hit that real high note. And there was something in the house, was there not in that moment? You felt it when you sang it. That just wasn't a song. That was your theme song that was coming out of your heart. Can I tell you, when you go home, you're not taking the choir with you. You're not taking Michelle with you. And you're not taking my wife, Christy, with you because she's mine. You know, you are going to go home, but all you take with you is this battle cry. Come on, say it together. The Lord my God is with me. Now, the day and age we live in, you're going to have to stand alone. You're going to have to stand alone. People are going to look at you. You know, I've discovered something. I can use the God word and nobody gets upset with me. But when I use the Jesus word, the waters part real quick. And when I talk about the power of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden this thing gets personal. I've discovered when people get baptized with boldness and courage, they're not afraid to talk about Jesus. They're not afraid to talk about him. But you see, when you start doing that, people look at you like you're some warped religious fanatic. Where in the world are you? What did you have for supper last night? Why don't you get in the real world? The hope for this world is the person of Jesus Christ. And he looks and he says, I want you, Solomon, to understand that the task is great. You're inexperienced. It could be overwhelming. Be strong and courageous. Say that together. Be strong and courageous. And the battle cry is simple. The Lord my God is with me. Come on, say it again. The Lord my God is with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He's promised, yea, though I walk, how does it go? Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Isn't it interesting in the 23rd Psalm? He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He takes me to green pastures. Boy, that's where I like living. I like living at Dairy Queen. Give me a blizzard, man. Those things are straight from heaven. But that's not the way life is. Life is tough. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is having people gossip about you. People mistreat you. Life is giving all you got as a volunteer in your church and having someone kick you in the seat of the pants or brush you off somewhere. But you simply say, my battle cry is, I know one thing, say it together again, the Lord my God is with me. Practice his presence. Practice his presence. Number two, the second thing he teaches him is to claim his promises. Now, I love this. I love this. He says, what I want you to do, Solomon, is when you start building this temple, people are going to think you're crazy. The task is going to be overwhelming. This thing is going to be magnificent. You have to have something in your arsenal that you default to. You have to have a default mechanism that you go to when the heat comes on. 
And he said, here's your default mechanism. Look at what he says. He says, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Now here's the battle cry that he gives him. Here it is. He says, the battle cry is, he will not fail nor forsake. Let's make it personal, me. Are you ready? He will not fail nor forsake me. Now, this is what we talk about when we say we've got to learn to claim the promises of God. The promises of God are what's going to sustain us. When God called me to preach, he gave me a promise, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. I learned it in the old King James. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. I then relearned it in the New International. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And God gave me this promise of his faithfulness. Later in life, he gave me Joshua 1.9, which is the second half of my life verse. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And you claim the promises of God. Now, you know this. And I'm preaching to the choir tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, this is God's word. This is God's authoritative word. This is God's infallible word. This is God speaking to his people, and it is every bit as live today as it was the day it was put ink on paper. God's word will never return void. God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, we live in a day where everyone's trying to discount the word of God. Everyone's trying to change the word of God. They're trying to give the word of God a makeover to make it more politically correct. They're taking passages of scripture and they're starting to cut them out and delete them. But this is still God's word and it is never changing. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we stand on the authority of the word of God. May God raise up an army of Daniels that will not bend, will not bow, will not break, will not compromise. And they simply say, I stand on the word of God. And that's where I'm going to be. His promises will sustain you when the lights go out. Now, here's what I want you to do. Whenever I disciple someone, and I always try to have one person, in spite of schedule, in spite of size, I need to have one person that I'm pouring into continually in my life. When Fred found the Lord, I took him and discipled him. I used navigator's materials, if anybody wonders. Take them through book one, book two, book three, book four. We spend 45 minutes. One of the things we do is we teach them how to pray, but then beyond teaching them how to pray, we teach them how to memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, there's a thousand different translations out there now. There are so many translations anymore, and they're not bad. They're great. I love reading them. But I've had to commit myself to finding one that I can take and I can memorize and put it into memory. So Rick found the Lord. He's the one I told you about the other night. Rick just came to me at the end of a funeral. And before a funeral started, actually, he said, I want to get saved. I thought, whoa, this is like unbelievable. Just out of the clear blue. Just a guy from town. I thought, this is unreal. So I said the second week, I said, Rick, it's time you learn your verse. I said, here's what I want you to do. As you study and go through, I want you to find your verse that's going to be yours for the rest of your life. 
and it's going to have your name on it. And I give guys a period of time to find it. He came in a couple weeks ago, and he said, Dave, I found it. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Lead me in your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and I love you all, and you, and you serve me all the day long. So we sat down together and we said, we're going to commit that to memory. Now what we're going to do is take this so that when the lights go out, I've got something to stand on. Now, when you get my age, memorizing scripture isn't that easy anymore. Oh, it's tough. I actually took that verse and I taped it on the steering wheel of my car. I thought, man, if the officer pulls me over, I'm going to say, show me your ways, oh, officer. You know, there it is right there. But the lights are going to go out. And all you're going to have are the promises of God. It's 13 years ago. Memorial Day. Christy and I were in Mexico. We were away on vacation. I do a lot of deep sea fishing, just kind of the big, the big thing I do. And I'd gone down with another buddy and his wife, and we were doing some deep sea fishing. Sometime you got to stop by my place. I have a 465-pound, 11-foot-6-inch hammerhead shark I caught. It's my one claim to fame in life. And I caught it, and I had it mounted. We're down fishing in the Baja, Mexico. I go back up the room and the light is flashing on the phone. It's very unusual because I pretty much am protected when I'm away like that and I listen to the message. And it's our son Scott saying, Dad, call home as soon as you can. I go down, I find a payphone where I can call back to the States and Scott says, Dad, uh, my sister, your daughter Kim was hit by a car, young mom. He said, Dad, I think you better come home. I said, how bad is it? He said, all I know is they've life flighted her to Fort Wayne. I said, can you tell me any more? He said, I can't. He said, all I know is she was placing her baby in the car seat on this road, and an elderly driver came by and didn't see her and just hit her and threw her a distance. Is McKenna okay? Yes, yeah, she's okay, but you better come home. I learned so much about myself that day. In 20 minutes, we packed everything we had. I grabbed a cab, and I went to the airport in Cabo San Lucas. I did not care how much it cost. I never asked about a ticket. I just said, get me on any plane going anywhere in the United States because it was late in the day. And we got on that plane. We made a flight to Phoenix that night. We had no idea whether she was living or whether she was dead. When that plane took off and the darkness came in around us, we had this heaviness. We sat in that seat. And all I could do in those moments and all Christy could do in those moments was just to cry out. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape so you can stand up under it. Faithful is he that calleth you will also do it. And then as we're traveling, the old song started to go through my head. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. 
Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Amazing grace, how sweet the song. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. How great thou art. How great thou art. We got the phoenix. I ran over, tried to find a flight. There was one flight left to Chicago. It was a red eye. Called on the phone. No one had any more information. They said they rushed her into surgery. They don't know whether she's going to make it or not. And for those next five hours flying from Phoenix to Chicago, all we had were the promises of God. Can I tell you there's going to come a time in your life when all you have are the promises of God? That's all you're going to have. As I share this story, some of you are recounting losses and pains and difficulties, untimely deaths in your life. Got to Chicago at 5 in the morning, rented a car, raced down to Fort Wayne. I could have cared less about anything in this world. I didn't care how many people were in church. I didn't care if a staff member resigned. I didn't care about anything except one thing, and that is my daughter and God, you've got to do this. Now, there is a great end to this story because after another surgery and another surgery and battling through, Kim today is alive and well, mother of two children, 98% healthy in her body because of Christ. It's an amazing story. But the story for me is about the faithfulness of God when the lights go out. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And our story had a pleasant ending. Many of your stories have not had a pleasant ending. I shared a story like this when I was speaking in Florida. A lady came up to me and said, I'm so happy for you. She said, my daughter didn't make it. But she said, can I tell you one thing? The promises of God carried us through the darkest night. So here's what you've got to do, church. The only thing that's going to sustain you when the lights go out are the promises of God. He will not fail me nor forsake me. Say it together with me. He will not fail me nor forsake me. I watched a lady come into my office broken and said, I don't know. I didn't know my husband was going to leave. He left me. He forsook me. I've had, I don't know how many parents come in and say, you'll never believe what my son or my daughter is into. You'll never believe what's happened. A gal comes in and said, my husband was just arrested for drunk driving. He's an alcoholic. I had no idea he had any problem at all. What am I going to do? Our life is falling apart. When you think it's falling apart, God is in the process of bringing something together that's even greater. So, so he looks at Solomon and says, Solomon, the lights may well go out when you do this big task. You need to practice his presence. The Lord, my God, is with you. You need to claim his promises. He will not fail nor forsake you. But then he says what you need to do is you need to see everything through his perspective. Through his perspective. Now look at this. Chapter 28, verse 20. He said, he will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Now watch this. He didn't say you're not going to have reversals. He didn't say things aren't going to be hard. But he said in his time, he's going to do his thing, and you need to see life as God sees life. You need to see through his eyes. If I had my board here, I would draw it this way. In life, there is this lower story. It's everything that's happened to you. Oh, man, I wish we had time to get acquainted. I'd love to hear your story. 
I'd love to hear your lower story. He was born here, did this, made this mistake, messed up my life, did this, this happened. That's the lower story of what's happened to you. But he says there's an upper story. The upper story is how God is working in your life in the midst of the lower story. And God has a way of taking things and turning them to his advantage. Makes beauty out of ashes. And God does that for us. Now, we don't see things accurately. We lose our perspective. I shared with you the other night that I have vision issues in peripheral vision. I don't have much peripheral vision. None. Here it is, like I shared it the other night. Through seven surgeries, God has given me 20-40 vision now. I can now see who's sleeping in the balcony at church. It's great. I can, I can spot them. Hey, wake him up over there. It's just great. I can figure it out. But I also have problems with night vision. It takes me a while to adjust to darkness. I, I just don't see things clearly in the dark. We were up in Chicago on the 95th. Is it the 95th floor on the Hancock building? There's a place where Christian people don't go. Yeah, and uh, we were up there, and we were going to go up with some friends and see Chicago late at night. Go up and have a Diet Coke and just enjoy the sight late at night. So we go up the elevator to this, to this restaurant up there, and it is just darker than dark. We get in there, we're seated down, and all of a sudden I, I recognize I, I, I need to use the restroom. And it's pretty dark, but that's not a problem. And so I turn and I go, and as I'm walking down the hall to go in the restroom, I turn, and all of a sudden, boom, I run smack into this guy. It's a big guy. He's pretty big. And I thought, oh, this is not good. This is not good. He may have had something to drink other than a Diet Coke. This is not good. And, and I apologized. I said, oh, sir, I'm so sorry. In stone silence. And I thought, the guy's guy ticked. And I said, sir, you don't understand. I have a problem with with night vision. And as I turned, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I didn't mean to do it. Didn't say a word. And then I recognized I had run into a mirror. I was talking to myself. All the people were thinking the boy didn't have a Diet Coke. In the darkness, I lost my perspective. In the darkness, you can lose your perspective. When the lights go out, you don't see things correctly. Now, here's the, ba- here's the key phrase. Here's the key phrase. The key phrase is, until all the work is finished. There's a, there's, a, there's a lower story going on in your life. But God's not done with you yet. He says, Solomon, there's going to be reversals. There's going to be disappointments. You're going to wonder what's going on. My life isn't what it thought it would be. I'll never forget when one of the guys in church came up to me and he said, Dave, they told me these would be the golden years of my life. They're the black years of my life. So what do you mean? He said, if you knew my kids, if you could see my doctor's report, if you could see what we're struggling with, I said, it's not over yet. God never promised we'd be leading at halftime, did he? He said, you have to see life through my perspective and see it how I see it. So I've come tonight to just encourage you. I've come tonight to encourage you. Max Locato says it well when he says, you'll get through this. You will get through this. This time that you're going through that you think might be the end of the road is simply a bend in the road. You'll get through this. 
God, through his grace and his promises, is going to carry you. So we have to learn what it is to practice his presence. Say that together with me out loud. Practice his presence. Number two, we have to learn to claim his promises. Say it together. Claim his promises. We have to see everything through his perspective. Say that together with me. See everything through his perspective. And I want to give you the last one, the final one. And that is we have to learn to utilize his provisions. Utilize his provisions. And here's the life principle. And this is the one I want to close with tonight. When God calls, God provides. Just say that together out loud with me. When God calls, God provides. God will never ask you to do anything that he will not give you everything you need to accomplish his will. Say it together again. When God calls, God provides. Look at what he says. Look at this. He says in verse 21, the divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God. Every willing man skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey. I am going to give you everything you need in the moment in which you need it. I'm not going to forsake you. I am going to provide for you everything you need. Rest assured that whatever your need is, he said, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. So, so, so what is your need? Jesus said to the disciples, go, go feed those 5,000 men, let alone women and children. They said, man, we don't have anything. God says, I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide. By the way, how many basketfuls were left over? Twelve. Each of them got one. Isn't that incredible? It's how God works. It's how God works. Now, when God calls us to do something, he says, I want you to rest assured of my provisions to carry you in what I called you to do. So what he's going to ask you to go through right now, he's going to give you everything you need to make it through that. He's not going to disappoint you. When God calls, God provides. That's the story of the book that my friends wrote about Bayshore Camp. When God calls, God provides. God does it in amazing ways. He's not going to hang you out. God's not brought you this far to say, hey, it's been a good ride. God bless you as you go. I'm going to let you fail. He said, I'm going to carry you through. What I have called you to go through, I am going to carry you through. It was in 1986. It's kind of interesting. Last night, a gal came up to me after the service and said the craziest thing happened. She says, I was driving up to camp Sunday. I was listening to you on the radio. I thought, well, how's he going to be there tonight? I'm listening to him on the radio. <laughs> Crazy thing that happens. It all started in 1986. In 1986, a Christian radio station came to us and said, we'd like you to be the voice of, of, our, of, our, of our station on Sunday morning. We just want to take your service. Since that time, it's gone on to the crazy thing. It's crazy. In fact, the craziest thing, we're even on a local ESPN radio station now. The only Christian thing they have on is us. It's just the craziest thing in the world I've ever seen. But there's a story behind it. When we went on the air, we didn't, we didn't have anything. We didn't have enough money. We, we couldn't pay airtime. We didn't have equipment. One day, this old lady, when I say old, she's older than any of us in this room, most likely, got in her old car and she drove down to church. Amy was her name. And she drove to church. We'd started on the radio with barred equipment and everything. I went to her house. 
She told me where her address was. I went to pay a home visit on her. And I said, Amy, I'm so honored that you drove 20 miles to visit our church. I just wanted to stop by and say thanks for coming. She said, well, is there anything you need on that radio deal? And I thought, here's this widow lady living in about an 800-square-foot house. She doesn't have a thing. There's nothing that, that, that I'm going to ask her. I don't want her gift. I don't want her money. I don't want to be some charlatan who drives by and says, and by the way, Amy, can you peel out some money to help us on this one? And so I looked at her and I said, she said, I need to know what you need. I said, Amy, we have to get a new recording system. She said, how much is it? It was thousands of dollars. There's no way I'm going to tell her. She said, how much is it? And I said, well, Amy, if God plays on your heart to give a gift, give a gift. She said, how much is it? And I said, Amy, I can't tell you. She said, you will tell me. I said, I can't tell you. She said, you're not leaving until you tell me exactly how much it is. And I said, it's three hundred dollars. She said, I didn't hear you. I said, yeah. how much is it? I said, Amy, I'm embarrassed. It's $3,000. She said, let me go get my checkbook. I could see the South Bend Tribune writing up this article about some pastor driving up to an old lady and walking out with a check for $3,000. She came over and wrote the check. And she said, can I tell you the story of my life? She said, I married a guy. I had no idea what he had. He left me more than I'll ever need. And I want to bless this thing. And I thought, isn't it something? How God took the seeds of a widow lady and he provided for a ministry that just went crazy and goofy because of one widow lady. You see, when God calls, how does it go? When God calls, God provides. Say it again. When God calls, God provides. We're putting up the trusses on a church building. It was a winter day, cold winter day. You know what Michigan cold is like. It is cold. This was a cold Indiana day. We had one last day to put the trusses up. There were six of us who were there to put up 56-foot span scissor trusses. This is not going to work. We said, do we call it off the cranes here? The winds were blowing. It was cold. It was about zero out. I can't work with my hands that well. I don't know what I'm doing. If I pick up a hammer, everybody screams and says, take it away from him. It's a weapon. I can't do it. And we were just about ready to close down. Listen to this. And all of a sudden, a guy drives in in a pickup truck, and nobody knows who he is. And he says, I saw you got a crane out here. What are you doing? They said, oh, we want to set trusses, but we're short a guy. He said, you know, it's too cold. They told me to go home from work today. He said, could I help you? I said, could you help me? He said, yeah. You know what I do for a living? He said, I'm the guy, man, you'll understand. I ride point when they set trusses. I'm the guy on the peak the whole way. To this day, no one knows who that man was. I don't know who he was. We just said, go for it. Got in there, went for it for five hours hard and straight. And before we knew it, he was gone in his truck. You see, there's a little principle. How is the principle? When God calls, God provides. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. God's going to do it for you. He'll provide. And he'll do it in the strangest ways you've ever thought. Because he loves you. He's going to provide you encouragement. He's going to provide you hope. He's going to provide you everything you need when the lights go out and you feel like it's going to, it's going to fail. A number of years back, we went into another building program. We built a ton of times. For the first time, I was going to have to stand up on a Sunday morning and announce to the people that we had a goal and it didn't happen, it didn't make it. It was Friday afternoon, 
Friday afternoon. And I thought, this is, this, this is just disastrous. And I'm going to have to stand up and be honest with the people that we missed our mark. Gal in the office called me over and said, Dave, I got a call from a guy. I gave him your email address. He told me before you go home today that you need to check your email. And so I went over. I checked my email. And he said, I've just been praying. And God has asked me to give X number of shares of stock. And then he listed the stock code of the shares of stock he was going to give. And he signed his name. First thing I did, you know what I did. First thing I did is I went on the market and I found out what's that worth. I'm not blowing smoke at you. We were $400,000 short. And the stock value that day was $401,000. And you want to know the story? Nobody knew who he was. Didn't know his name. Looked up the name. I called the other pastors in. I said, does anybody know when I gave his name? I said, we don't know who this guy is. I thought, now, come on. You don't walk into a church and call the pastor and say, here's a gift for $400,000. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And so I wrote him a note back. And I said, thanks. Thanks. I said, someday could I have the opportunity to meet you in person and just say thank you. Four weeks later, four weeks later, at the end of a service, people are lined up. At the end of the service, I like to greet people. There's a guy about six back. He had on a flannel shirt and a pair of jeans. And something in my head said, I bet that's the guy. Walked up to me and he said, hi, my name is. I just looked at him. You know what I said? Thanks. 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 You'll never. He didn't know the story. He didn't know that it looked like we were going to fail. And I just said, thanks. And in my spirit, I sensed a check from the spirit of God that said, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Now, Kevin, Matt, you don't do that to donors like that, do you? You don't leave them alone. They become your best friends, don't they? <laughs> the Spirit of God said, leave him alone. Leave him alone. I left him alone for two years. Two years later, he called me on the phone, and he said, and I noticed, I noticed he sat. I noticed one Sunday I saw him sitting in the back corner of the balcony, and he called me two years later. And he said, Sunday's message gripped my heart. I got some things I'm plowing through. I wonder if we could meet. And it was like the Spirit of God said, now you have permission to meet. Met him at lunch. First thing I said to him is, why did you do what you did? And he said, God led me. And he told me. When God calls, God provides. So what do you need tonight? What do you need? I just sensed as I was praying about this service tonight, it was like the Lord said, Dave, just, just encourage my people. These are my boys and girls. These are my sons and daughters. Some of these people are facing heaviness. They're facing stuff. And tonight, I've just come into this place to invite you to say, Lord Jesus, I need your touch. I want you to bow your heads together with me right now. Would you do that? Some of you say, I'm in over my head. I've kind of kept it inside. I'm discouraged. I think I'm overwhelmed. I think I'm at a point where I need God's touch. And here's what I'd like to do tonight. There's something that happens when we open ourselves up to each other. 
Something happens when we destroy the power of the secret. Something happens when we tear off the mask and we say, God, I just need you tonight. I need you, Jesus. I need you. And I didn't come tonight into this room to embarrass you. I came to you in this room tonight just to tell you, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Some of you are discouraged about your family, your kids, your job, your career, your future. Anxiety's overtaking your heart. And you say, God, I've just, I've just got this heaviness on me. How about tonight if we say, Jesus, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. I want you just to stand with me right now. Would you do that? I want you to stand. I want you to stand. I want you just to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes right there. Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And tonight, I'm going to ask you to consider doing something that's going to be very symbolic, and that is just saying, Jesus, here I am. I come. With your heads bowed, you'd like to just slip out right now. This altar is going to be a place of prayer. We're going to sing in a little bit. We're going to sing. We're going to close. But this altar is going to be a place of prayer. And I just want you just, just, just to gather in as God's people and say, Lord, I need you. He's spoken to you tonight. And just while we pause in this moment, if God's spoken to you, and you say, I need a brand new touch. I need to be encouraged. I need to bring my burdens. I want brothers and sisters to pray for me. Some of you face physical challenges. Some of you face challenges at home. Pride is always a thing that says you'll make it on your own. And he says, no, I want you to come. And I'm just going to ask you right now if you'll just consider stepping out. Someone lead the way. Others will follow. And we're going to say, God, I need you. I need you. You just come. The altar's open right here. We're just going to be quiet. I'm going to be quiet for the next minute. And we're just going to let people respond as God leads you. He says, come. I'm going to touch you and do my work. You come. on the inside if you need to come on the inside of the altar. Tonight the waters are troubled and what that means is it's time for us to jump in because when the healing waters are troubled, God does a deep work. God does a deep work. You just come on in as best you can. Some of you may want to come and just stand in the front. We're going to worship the Lord in a moment and we're going to sing. But I want you to come. still time for you. I'm going to do something that might be a little different in your heritage. And cut me a little grace, would you, as I do this? This might be a little different or unique. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And you know what I want to do? I want Bayshore this to be a healing moment. I want every person kneeling here to have someone that would come and stand by them. I always prefer men with men, women with women. 
I just want you to come. So a number of you guys come. You come on the inside of the altar here. And I just want you to take just a gentle hand and place it on a shoulder of someone. And I want you to pray. You may want to at some point say, how can I best pray for you? You just come on the inside here. And I want you to feel free to do that. We can pray out loud. I want those of you that are kneeling there to be very honest. Sometimes we just share something that's safe, but some of us have some deep things we're plowing through right now. And I just want you just, maybe you can just ask a question. How can I pray for you? And, and we're just gonna, we're just gonna pray. We're gonna pray and we're gonna do this work. And, and I'm gonna give these people here time to pray for each other. Now, while they're doing that work here and they're gonna pray, I want you just, just, just to ask them a simple question. How can I pray for you? And then I'm gonna give you time to pray. But while they're doing that, I wanna talk to the rest of you. Someone in this room tonight may well be facing a physical problem. Maybe it's the word cancer that came across your life and you're fighting it. Maybe the doctor gave you a report that's not good with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just in the quietness of this moment, you'd say, Dave, that's my mountain that I'm facing right now. I've got a physical mountain that I'm facing. I need God's healing touch. I'm going to ask you just to put your hand up right now. I want to pray for you as I close this part of the service. God bless you. Others of you, physical problem. How many of you would say right now, God bless you, many of you. How many of you say right now, Dave, I'm facing a family mountain. I've got a son. I've got a daughter. I've got a grandchild. i got a situation that's just killing me. And I need God to come and relieve that. And you just take your hand and you lift it up right now and say, I got a family need that's deep. It's deep. I want to pray for you. How many of you would say, Dave, I've got a heaviness in my spirit? I don't know what it is. I've just got discouragement. I just have this, I just have this dark cloud that's come over me. And you'd say, God, I need you to lift the darkness and turn on the, the light. And you'd lift your hand right now if you've got a spirit of darkness that's just kind of bothering you and a heaviness. I've gone through that. Some of you are going through that. Just pray for God to do that. So I'm going to pray right now for those of you who raised your hands. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come up into place. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to do a little altar work here. And we're going to do that tonight. But let me pray for you. Father God, thank you. Thank you, you're a God that heals. I am the God that healeth thee. And Father, I've watched you touch people that have had deadly diseases and doctors have said there's no hope. And you have confounded them when you've moved in on the scene and you've touched and healed. Father God, I've watched you heal family relationships, sons and daughters that have walked away and, and you brought them back and, and kids that have rebelled and you brought them back. Parents that have made terrible decisions and, and, and you brought them back. Father, I've watched you touch the downhearted, the discouraged, the afflicted, those with a spirit of heaviness. And I pray you do that for my friends that have that spirit of heaviness. Now, Jesus, we love you tonight. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. May the word of God dwell in our hearts. Might the power of the Holy Spirit let us see the big picture, the upper story, as we walk together with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now I want you just to maintain an atmosphere of prayer. And when you're done, you can feel free to go back, but we're just going to worship. In fact, it may be at the end of the service, some of you are going to say, you know, I didn't feel comfortable 
kind of coming up. That's kind of new in my tradition. We don't do that in my church. I'm not quite sure how this all works. And you may, when everyone else leaves, just kind of want to make your own altar right here. But let's just worship the Lord together right now. Matt, lead us.